Very good. Drew, come on up, buddy. We are in a series uh, called uh, Rest for Your Soul, uh, focusing on Sabbath over the last uh, few weeks, the next couple as we go through Lent, and Drew's going to continue that time with us this morning. So give it up for Drew Abercrombie, guys. Good morning. Well, I want to begin by telling you that um, it's not just the U.S. government that tinkers with time and schedules. Uh, it's actually something that's happened in other countries and at other times. And uh, it happened about 100 years ago in Soviet Russia. Um, there was a problem, you see. Um, on Sundays, every weekend, families would go home to, their, uh, to be with one another. People would go to worship and people would socialize with their friends. And when they did that, the factories would shut down. The machines would fall silent. And industrial production fell to zero. So the Soviets, um, Stalin, his government, had an idea to revolutionize industrial production. What they did was this. To solve this vexing problem of the machines being shut down every week, they abolished the weekend and in the seven-day week. And instead, they instituted a five-day work week. They called it the Neprivka, or the continuous work week. So the way that worked was this. Um, each day was color-coded. Um, and there was a, a politically appropriate symbol designated for each day, like uh, the wheat sheaf, or the hammer, or the sickle. And each person would get a slip of paper, a colored piece of paper, which indicated which day was their day off. So that on every day, 80% of the workforce would come in to work, and 20% would stay home. And in this way, the machines would never be idle, and production would never cease. Now, the purpose of this, of this new system was ostensibly to increase production. They wanted to move, like jumpstart their economy, jumpstart their, their society. But what actually happened was this. There, there, it had a couple other side benefits in communist eyes. You see, when they, when they eliminated the weekend, they also eliminated um, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And those days have specific meanings in the Russian language. Actually, the Russian word for Saturday is subata, which is uh, it's derived from the, the Hebrew word Sabbath. You can kind of hear the S and the B and the T. And then you have Sunday. And the Russian word for Sunday is actually the same word for resurrection. So every Saturday, every Sunday, the Russians would remember Sabbath. Every Sunday they would hear Resurrection Day. But with this new system, it erased those old religious meanings. Um, now, while, while the Russian workers had more, they had more days off now. They had more days off in this system than in the seven-day week, about 72 as opposed to 52, everybody hated it. They absolutely hated this new system. And they complained about it in the official communist paper, the newspaper, Pravda. Um, one person wrote like this. He said, what are we to do at home if the wife is in the factory, the children in school, and no one can come to see us? What is left but to go to the public tea room? What kind of life is that when holidays come in shifts and not for all workers together? That is no holiday if you have to celebrate by yourself. So the five-day week that they set up began to undermine family bonds because you weren't off at the same time as your family members. It undermined friendships and it undermined religious bonds as well. 
and it didn't last, actually. Um, they tried to tweak it and adjust it um, for many years. They, they allowed families to take off time together. They extended it to six days instead of five days, but in the end, it failed. Um, production actually fell during this time because the machines broke. Turns out that machines also need rest. So after 11 years of trial and error, they, they, went, they gave up and they reverted back to the seven-day work week. But this experience reveals something to us about the way that time works in our lives. The way that we spend our days, the, the way that we fill them, the way that we, who we spend them with, all of that inevitably bears meaning. Your days, your months, your years will communicate something. And God understood this. Um, we, we see this in the Bible. When he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he established in them, in the books of Exodus and in Leviticus, the, the second book of the Bible, the third book of the Bible, he, he established festivals and holy days, times to rest from the normal activities of life. And the most basic of those days, the most basic festival was the Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath. And that is our text for this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, verses 8 to 11, which is the fourth commandment. So let me pray for us, and then we will read from the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here together on this day, the Sabbath day that you've given us. We ask that you would speak to us, communicate to us through your word. May your spirit come, make us receptive, that your word would be effective in our lives that we would know that you are good, that you have given us a rest, and that um, we have only to receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read for us from Exodus chapter 20. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. In this fourth commandment we can see three things. So we've, we've, we've been following up We've been going through this series on the Sabbath, and we've focused on different aspects. And today, we're going to look at the idea of rhythm in the Sabbath. And what we're going to see about the rhythm of Sabbath is that, one, it is a command. Two, it is a practice. And three, it is a sign. So we have command, practice, and sign. And, the, and this is what we see in verse 8. That's the first part of the commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the essence of the command. And so we have two verbs here. We have remember and to keep holy. And the reason God says to remember is twofold. Um, for one, the Sabbath had already been established beforehand uh, in two different places in the Old Testament. The first is at creation. God worked in creation six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. But even in the Israelites' own experience, they had already encountered the Sabbath. When they came out of Egypt, they came out, we read in chapter 14 of Exodus, they come out, they cross the Red Sea, now they're in the wilderness, they realize they don't have any food. So God provides manna for them. And he says, you will collect 
manna, this is kind of like bread, and they collect it for six days, but on the seventh day, God's not going to send manna. He's going to have them use what they collected on the sixth day to provide for the seventh day. So they, they, they collect double the amount on the sixth day, and they rest on the seventh day. So they had already heard about the Sabbath, so God's telling them, you need to remember it. Remember it because it's from creation and it's from when we established it in the wilderness. But remember has another meaning too. The word remember in the Old Testament often is connected to the idea of remembering a covenant. So in Exodus chapter 2, we read about God remembering his covenant. Um, when the Israelites cry out under the, the pressure and the oppression of their, their work, their slavery in Egypt, it says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So in keeping the Sabbath, the Israelites are remembering their covenant with God. And this is, God makes it explicit in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. He says this, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations, as a covenant forever. The Sabbath is a way of remembering their relationship with God, remembering the promises he's made, the things that he's given them, helps them remember they are his people, and that, they, uh, and that he is their God. But there's also another reason. There's a, it's very practical. And that is that we typically forget the Sabbath. We forget our God. So remembering is a very appropriate word. We forget what God has done. We forget that we are his creatures. We forget that he has saved us. We forget that we owe everything to him and that we are in desperate need of salvation. Thus, the, God gives us the Sabbath to remember who he is, who we are, and all that he has done for us. But it's not just remembering in the abstract. Um, it's remembering for a purpose. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the purpose of the remembering. It's kind of like um, an anniversary. Um, we have some people here who have had many anniversaries. Maybe some people are married. They haven't yet had one anniversary. But the thing about the anniversary is that you're supposed to remember it, but not just, you know, you abstractly recognize, oh, yes, at this time, 20 years ago, or this year, time last year, I got married. And then you acknowledge that, yes, that happened. If you do that, uh, and that's all you do, your wife is going to be upset with you, man. Uh, no, you remember the anniversary for a purpose. You remember it so that you may set it aside for a special use. That day is set aside for a special use. And so it is with the Sabbath day. We remember it in order to keep it holy. And this is what uh, God says in Leviticus chapter 23. He talks about what we ought to be doing on the Sabbath. What is it for? Um, he says a few things. Six days, this is verse 3, six days shall be work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So the, the Sabbath is not just any old rest. It's a solemn rest. It's rest with a purpose. And then he says it's also a holy convocation. It's a time of gathering together of the people. That's what the convocation means. So God gathers his people together for a time of corporate worship, where they worship as one people. That's one of the main purposes of the Sabbath day. And this makes sense in the context of the Ten Commandments. Um, if you know the Ten Commandments, um, verse, uh, number one to number four relate to our relationship with God, whereas number five to number ten relate to our relationship with others. 
And so if you think about the first commandment, it is, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's about who you worship. You're worshiping God alone. The second commandment is, you shall not make any graven images. It's talking about how we worship God. We're not going to worship him with images. We worship him through word, through song, through prayer. And in the third commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That's in what manner we worship God. We don't worship him vainly or irreverently, but we, we treat his name with, with reverence and in a holy way. But in the fourth commandment, it's also about worship. It's about when, when we worship. So who, how, and what manner, and when. And so the Lord gives us the Sabbath. So there's this weekly structure of worship that God builds into our lives. We are to worship him. And it it makes sense, right? If you're not going to worship any other gods before him, you only worship him alone, worship him alone, you have to have a time to worship him, right? If you never have a time to worship him, then you're not worshiping him. So we remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And we gather weekly to worship God together. But then that comes to the next verse. The next verse in the the commandment talks about the practice. The Sabbath rhythm is a practice. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. You're wondering, like, why is he listing all these things? It's to emphasize that this rest that God gives is for everyone. So he gives us the rhythm, and he gives us how to practice it. Um, We rest from all our work. We have six days to do all our work and our labor, but on the seventh day, we do a different kind of labor, a gathering together and worshiping God as one people. So we rest from our work, their ordinary work, in order to celebrate and to give thanks for all that God has done. So the Sabbath is... um, not a fast day. It's not a day to like, afflict yourself or to, to feel depressed about anything, like you got to be grave on Sunday and worship solemnly. No, it is a day to celebrate what God has done. It's a feast day. And the, the word Sabbath, we've talked about it, how it derives from the word for stop or cease. So God's talking about we stopping a certain kind of work, all of our ordinary, regular work, but it's not, um, it's not an empty stopping. We're supposed to fill it with something. It's a Sabbath to the Lord, a Sabbath to the Lord. Um, it's filled with a holy labor. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson wrote about the Sabbath. He was writing in the 1600s in England, and he, he wrote about how the Sabbath, he said this, the Sabbath is the market day of the soul, the market day of the soul. And if you know Back then, there were market days. People would come into the city. They'd work in their farms or produce something. They'd come on that day into the city, and they'd buy and sell everything they'd made um, and the things that they needed. Well, Thomas Watson's saying, when we come together on the Sabbath, that's the market day of the soul. We stop buying and selling and trading material goods, but instead we trade in spiritual goods. We're trading in spiritual goods. And then verse 10, that, 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 that repetition of every single person that's not supposed to work on that day, um, that is uh, emphasizing for us that it's not just household leaders that are supposed to rest. So it's, it's addressed to fathers and, and mothers, husbands and wives, people who are heads of household. Um, 
they are supposed to not just ensure that they rest, but the people who are responsible to them rest as well. It's not, it's you, it's your son, it's your daughter, the people who work for you, even your animals, and even the, the strangers and foreigners in your land. There is no class distinction, there is no age distinction or sex distinction here. Um, everybody is to get to rest. It's not just the powerful and rich who rest while the weak and the poor have to keep working away and away and away. No, God is giving rest to everyone. Now just consider how gracious of a command the fourth commandment is. So they had been slaves in Egypt. They were there for 400 years, and at some point during that 400 years, they became slaves, and they never had a day off. They had no Sabbath in Egypt. It was just soul-crushing, ceaseless, oppressive work day after day after day, and so they cried out to God, and then God saved them. He brought them out by the hand of Moses, go across the Red Sea, and now God says, you must rest. No, you get to rest. You don't have to work every day anymore. You get rest. Enjoy the blessing of your Redeemer. Can you imagine what they must have heard? They'll say, wait, wait, we get a day off? They had never had a day off. The Sabbath is first and foremost a gift. Now, our life is not one of ceaseless striving, of, an, of unending accumulation. God has given us a rhythm of life. Um, and this is good news. Um, just think of like, you're, if, you, if you're in a profession, you've worked really hard one day. You've spent yourself. You've exhausted yourself in your work. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but your boss comes to you and says, good job, good work, you've worked hard, um, go home. Go home, re- get some rest, be with your family, be with your friends, do something that you enjoy, get some rest. I am ordering you to go home. Now, though that word is in the form of a command, it's actually a gift. It's a gift. But for, for all sorts of reasons, uh, we don't receive the Sabbath day as a gift, but instead we often see it as a, as a burden. We, we ask all these qualifying questions like, um, is the Sabbath day really something for Christians today? Or we ask, um, what really counts as work? So we ask these questions that sort of like tie us up in our minds. We think, well, maybe it's not really for Christians. Maybe it was just for Jews, and now that Jesus has come, it's not for us anymore. Or, or, or like, what, what really is work? And then we define it out of existence, or we, we, we define it so that we can never actually violate the commandment. Um, but let, how do we answer these questions? Well, to the first one, is, is the Sabbath day really for Christians? I would say this. First, the commandment didn't start with the Ten Commandments. The, the pattern for it is based in, this is what verse 11 shows, it's based in the creation. God worked and then he rested. And so we as creatures also work and rest. Six days and then rest one day. But then there's also the, the, the issue of, like, why is it Sunday now and not Saturday? How did that happen? Well, in the New Testament, we see that Christians start meeting on Sunday. It doesn't explain it explicitly why this happens, but the only... Uh, the main reason that we can point to is that some big shift, something big and exciting happened on Sunday. Something really important happened on Sunday. And so Christians started worshiping on that day instead. Of course, it's, it's the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week caused Christians to celebrate the Sabbath on the first day instead of on Saturday the 7th. And it's also the same day that Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit. Fifty days after his resurrection on Pentecost, he poured out his Spirit 
on Sunday, on Pentecost. Pentecost was a Sunday too. So these two big events, the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, happened on Sunday. So Christians celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Now, Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets. We are not working to please God by our, our filling, fulfilling the commandments in order to receive something from him. He's already fulfilled the law and the prophets. Um, do you think that now that Jesus has come, now that he has done all these wonderful things, risen from the dead, given his Holy Spirit, that we are now supposed to go back to slavery, that he's going to withdraw the Sabbath? Now you don't get any rest. No, surely, now that we are living on this side of Christ's coming, when the Holy Spirit has come, surely now we should have greater enjoyment, greater delight in the weekly Sabbath than the Jews ever had. The expression of the Sabbath has changed for Christians, but the principle remains the same. In fact, it, its meaning is enhanced because of Christ's work. But the second question, what counts as work? I would propose that that is a bad question. Um, because when you ask that question, you're basically asking, how far can I go without crossing the line? And that is a self-serving question. It's a self-indulgent question because it's all about you and what you desire and what you want. Um, the, the Pharisees thought that way. They, they felt justified in their mistreatment of the poor and the vulnerable because they had this list of do's and don'ts on the Sabbath and they could always check off, see, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. And so they didn't show mercy to people, but instead they criticized Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. So they turned a day that was meant to be a, a time of gathering God's people, uniting them in worship, binding them together as a people, and they turned it into a day of division instead. But the Sabbath is not supposed to impose a new kind of slavery on us. It's supposed to free us. This is what Jesus said. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But then we still have the problem, like, okay, Drew, we still need to know, like, what do we do on the Sabbath? How do we practice the Sabbath? Uh, what does it look like practically for Christians today if Christ has fulfilled the law? Well, I think the Apostle Paul has some really good instruction for us in Romans chapter 14. This is what he says um, to the Romans. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Consider your own Sabbath practices, your, your, what you do in that time that you've set aside to be to the Lord. In that time, are you living to the Lord? Is your Sabbath time, your Sabbath day, to the Lord, or is it to you? Does it serve God's purposes? Is it drawing you to him and to his people, or is it used to fulfill your own goals and your objectives? That, I think, is a better question than asking what counts as work. Um, because it orients us, it reminds us of the purpose. The whole purpose of the Sabbath was to draw us to God and to his people. It's a better question. But evaluating, evaluating our Sabbath practices can be, can be challenging. And it, it takes some serious Christian 
wisdom, and also a recognition of Christian liberty. That's what Paul is talking about before. You don't need to condemn one another. That's what the Pharisees did. That's not what the Christians are supposed to do with their Sabbath observance. But practical Christian wisdom. There was a, there's a confession of faith written about 350 years ago in England. Uh, a lot of people gathered together, and they, they had some really careful consideration of the Sabbath and, and how to practice it well. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And what they said was this. They said, you can keep, you keep the Sabbath holy when you rest from your, your, your thoughts and your words and your works of your ordinary worldly employments. And instead, you, you spend the time in private and in public worshiping the Lord and being with his people. Um, except for, and this was the, the big exception, except for deeds, works of necessity, and works of mercy. That's what the Pharisees missed. They were trying to make the Sabbath, like the new slave master over the people. But Jesus subordinated it to the love of God and the love of our neighbors. Yes, show mercy. Yes, there's, there's work that you still got to do on the Sabbath day. You think about today, we, we still want our police officers to be on the streets on Sunday. We still want our doctors and nurses to be in with their patients on those days. That's necessary work, and it is merciful work. But honestly, there's, um, there's some work that isn't necessary. And uh, from my own experience, this has happened to me, so I've been a student for the past three years, and there, there are assignments that are due on Monday, and I find out, oh, I gotta be doing some work on Sunday if I'm gonna do, get that thing done for, for Monday. But if I'm honest with myself, that work wasn't necessary because, it, it only became necessary because I was disorganized and undisciplined the other six days. And so, because I indulged myself and I procrastinated, I wasted my time, what I did was I deprived myself of the gift of God's Sabbath. And I deprived his people of my full presence. And I deprived him of the worship that belongs to him. So, the, the lesson is this. You, can't, you cannot keep the, the Sabbath holy to the Lord if you're not living the rest of the week to the Lord as well. The Sabbath, like all rhythms, is a practice, and it takes effort and intentionality to do it well, to practice it, um, because it's not going to happen naturally. What happens naturally is what I was talking about, indulging myself, being self-centered with the use, my use of time. Um, but that, let's, let's look at another aspect, another angle. What about people who... What about people who really, just to make ends meet, they have to be working those seven days. They, just to make ends meet for their family, they have, to make it, um, they have to work, keep working. What do we say to those people? Is the Sabbath not for them? It's only for the well-to-do? I think the early church gives us an example of what we ought to be doing as a community. It's that that the, the Sabbath is not an individualistic thing. It is a community project. Listen to what the church did in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. It says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So the early church was supporting one another so that there wouldn't be needy people among them and so they could be united in the worship of the Lord. Now imagine if the, the church today were to live this way, what, a, what an amazing message that would communicate to the world. 
If we did that, the Sabbath wouldn't just be a sign for us. It would be a sign to the world, telling them who God is and what he's about. And that's the third point, that the Sabbath, the Sabbath rhythm is a sign. It points us to something. Um, Verse 11 says this, so Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the basis for the fourth commandment is creation. Just as God worked and rested, so we work and rest. And it points us to the creation. Now for Christians, the Sabbath has a new meaning. It also points us not just to creation, it points us to redemption. It points us to creation and redemption. It's a sign pointing us to what God has done. And and this is what God said about it. He said it in in, uh, Exodus chapter 31, that it is a sign. He said, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. God says he sanctifies us. That's the same word for to keep it holy. To keep holy and sanctify, it's the same meaning, same exact word. So God's saying, basically, you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to remember that I am the God who keeps you holy. You keep this holy so that you remember that I am the one who keeps you holy. But when you live this way, if you live this way today, so that's what, that's what the Sabbath communicates to us, but it also communicates something to the world. And if you live according to the Sabbath, that rhythm that God establishes in his word, if you live that way, it's going to rub up against the rhythms of other cultures, other uh, of society, the different groups that you're in. Because there are all sorts of things pulling on our time, trying to give it new meaning. There's always something trying to become the organizing principle of our lives, whether it be our school or our work or our sports or whatever it is. There's something that wants to become the organizing principle. But when you observe the Sabbath, you counter these competing organizing principles, and instead you're communicating something to the world. You communicate a few things. When you observe the Sabbath, you are saying, I am not God. God is the one who orients and patterns my life, not me and not anything else. You also say, we are not slaves. We are not condemned to endless work, to ceaseless striving. We are not productivity machines. We are God's children and he will provide for us. You also say, I am not the Messiah. I am not going to save anybody by producing more, earning more, working more. Christ is the Savior, not me. And then finally you say this, I rest because Christ has given me rest. I was living for myself, seeking to save myself, I was trying to provide everything for myself, but it was not enough. I was not enough. But Christ is enough. So this runs completely counter to human ways of thinking that jot everything down to human accomplishment. Um, That's a worldly view. We don't achieve rest. We don't achieve rest or salvation for ourselves. But there there were Jewish thinkers, ancient Jewish rabbis, who, who thought differently about the Sabbath. Um, This is what they said. One rabbi said, If Israel kept the Sabbath properly, even for a single day, the son of David would come. Another rabbi 
Simeon ben Johai, he taught, if the Israelites only celebrated two Sabbaths according to the scriptures, they would immediately be saved. So in other words, work hard and God will save you. Keep the Sabbath and God will accept you. But the gospel message is this. The son of David, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, has come. He has come. And he has won salvation for his people. He lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death that we should have died. He took our death so that we could have his life. But the but death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. He rose from the grave, not just to be what he normally, what was before the grave, but he rose in power and in glory. He became, as Corinthians says, uh, the, the spiritual man, the man of the spirit. And now he gives us the Holy Spirit. He pours out his spirit on those who trust in him. You need only to reach out your hand and receive the gift of the spirit in faith. Receive the rest that he has won in faith. Thus the Sabbath becomes not some meritorious work that we do to win favor in God's sight. Rather, it is about what God has done. It's about what Jesus has done, not about what we do. So on the Sabbath, you're not ministering to God. You're not ministering to him by being here. God is ministering to you. He has won the true and perfect rest. The question is, will you receive that? rest. Will you receive it? Now, our culture has not instituted a five-day work week, continuous work week. Thank goodness, right? Um, actually, they don't need to because we do it to ourselves. Um, the, the internet causes our work to follow us home. Our, our phones, your children's phones, cause their school stuff to follow them home so that we can never really escape it. And, and so the, the weekend becomes just like any other day. And, and Sunday becomes just another, another second Saturday. This becomes a second Saturday. Another day to consume, another day to get ahead on our work, or it's just another game day, right? You pick, pick your sport, whatever it is. It's another day for that. But God's people are called to a different rhythm. We are called to live our weeks from Sabbath to Sabbath. And when this Sabbath rhythm of God's people becomes your way of life, it will bump up against the rhythms of this world. And you will have people say, like, why, why can't we do something here? And you'll be able to answer them. You'll be able to give a reason for why you do what you do on the Sabbath. And you can say this, I have a God who loves me, who made me and cares for me. He saved me from trying from striving to save myself. He has given me six days to work. But the seventh day he set aside for himself. And on that day, I want to worship him and thank him for all that he has done. How could I not want to worship him and praise him with his people? How could I not want to in light of all that he's done for me? And so on each Sabbath, as the church gathers, we remember our crea the creation God has made us. We remember the redemption that Christ has won for us. We remember the rest that he gives for us. And we look forward to the eternal rest that is coming when he returns. The book of Hebrews talks about uh, a Sabbath rest. It says there is a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. And Christ invites us to enter into it. And we can enter into it right now. 
We can have a foretaste of it right now when we trust him and have faith in him. That He's fulfilled the law. We don't have to fulfill it. We can have peace with God because Christ has won the peace for us. That's what the rest is. It's that peace with God. But Christ will come and we will taste the full, the fullness, the full glory of what he has actually won for us when he returns. And it's that that we seek. We seek to be in his presence. Jesus himself is the rest that we seek. We long for his coming. We pray, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for us.